So we had a, if you just kind of think about where we're at in our exploration, we're tentatively taking the first few steps into the world of spirituality, which we did by directly engaging in the idea of what is a creator, what is transcendence, what is the mystery of the existence of the world, and not becoming trapped in our self-projected visions of what we would call God and then living within those and interpreting reality in the light of a nice guy in the sky or whatever vision we chose to pick uh, but rather having a much grander and expansive definition of a higher power that incorporates the notion of something that is totally beyond our capacity of comprehension always was, always will be exists independently with no sense of complexity or diversity, sustains, generates, and maintains the known universe on a constant basis. It, it would cease to be, everything would cease to be, if everything would cease to be, it would still exist. And having this really grand and powerful understanding of what we are calling Hebrew, the Borea Linking into the notion that perhaps this is the way and the reason why we cannot call Hashem by an obvious name because it would suggest some level of limitation. However, this exploration leaves us in a quandary as facing our own mortality and limitation. How do we relate to such a being? It almost seems impossible which then gives way to the idea of what we'd call the spiritual world. In other words, the spiritual world isn't Hashem. Hashem is beyond any kind of thing that we could even even begin to comprehend. But the spiritual world isn't the natural world either. So what is the spiritual world? Well, it's the interface that allows us some level of access to the divine, whilst not being the divine. It's developing some coherent, articulated structure which helps us to delve into a connection relationship to something that fundamentally is not within our capacity to comprehend. And even though we can't necessarily understand or grasp in any way the the higher power, but what we can connect to is the way that he is manifest in the world that we're in. In doing so, we have to be very careful, as always, of not creating God in our own image, but recognizing that we are created in His image, and that's a tricky, that's a tricky path to tread. And that's what we're, we're at in our exercise. The last time we spoke, we, we went into a little bit of the cogent nature of the spiritual world as expressed through the emotion of fear and perhaps in a what for me was a dramatic paradigm shift instead of viewing fear as this really negative and outdated way of connecting to religion bringing back images of fire and brimstone creatures standing at the pulpit and saying things like you're going to burn you're going to burn but rather recognizing that in life when fear is devoid from our experience of reality, 
reality has a very different feel to it. Not only that, but we're obviously constantly prone to danger. One of the most harmful things you could probably do to a person is remove their sense of fear. If you took the fear out of civilization as a whole, what would it, what would probably give way to incredible anarchy? Um, there'd be no boundaries to society, and the world would probably self-destruct in a very short period of time. So fear is not only a necessary protective emotion, but it does something else. And this is what I want to explore. It actually creates meaning to spiritual practice. Because if there's no consequences to my doing or not doing, to my encroaching on the spiritual realm in a negative fashion or in a positive fashion, if I don't have a cogent sense of any difference between those two experiences, so then my experience of spiritual practice will be extremely dull and empty. It won't have any level of charge to it. I'll give you an example. Imagine if Shabbos would be a lovely day of rest, that you'd have three meals, abundant supply of good food, good whiskey, good company. And if you switched on a light or decided to cook your food or write a letter to a friend, it would make absolutely no difference from a feeling level. Okay, you know. So, only one of who's kept celebrated in a true sense Shabbos may relate to what I'm saying. Does anyone relate to what I'm saying? That the fact that I can't switch on the light, the fact that I can't right now, that my technology is far away and put away, creates a certain charge, an electricity, a gravity, a significance, a meaning, a power to Shabbos. That as sunset starts to get closer, there's a sense of awareness, uh, or wakefulness. That, oh, I've got to make sure that everything's put into place and things are arranged and, and there's, you know, the, the food's on, on, on the blech and stuff is put in and, and the light switches are covered over and there's a sense of, hmm, something's about to happen. There's a commotion. And there's, there's almost, there's an end point because beyond sunset, everything's going to stop and this day is going to land and it's going to be different. It's going to have different parameters. There's going to be a whole different way of negotiating it. Everything that was until now changes in its mechanism. In fact, what makes Shabbos a reality, one can argue and think about this. How many positive commandments, meaning things do we have to do on Shabbat? One. Kiddush. According to Torah We have to declare, articulate how different this day is through our words and possibly on a glass of wine, depending on which side of the Rishon you choose to stand. How many, and I'll put it like this, how many defining the outlines of what Shabbat should look like, how many parameters are there? 39. 39, with all the different der- derivations, which really can spill into, into the hundreds of detailed, defined boundaries of what Shabbos, where it starts and, and where it finishes and, and what is within the parameters and what will go outside of those parameters from not writing a letter, not switching on a cell phone, not driving in a car to 
in the world of the rabbinical enhancement, not moving something which I never would have thought to have moved beforehand. So not picking up a stone, even though I'm not doing anything productive with it. Not speaking about something that I'm going to do after Shabbat on Shabbat itself. All those, that arrangement, that apparatus creates a sense of gravity and electrifies the day in a way that makes it special, that makes it sacred, that makes it power. And not having any sense of fear to step over those boundaries demeans, degrades the level of experience that is invested in Shabbat. So ironically, the fear called Yir Ataonesh, the fear of consequence, is an embedded in our experience the purity and the vitality of spiritual practice. And without it, it just becomes another flavor of ice cream which doesn't have meaning. It becomes another self-invented choice which doesn't have an external power of um, reality. Yes, Semkush. Uh, didn't you also say like the opposite that because we don't like naturally have the fear of any spiritual stuff, that's that's what makes it like a free choice. Otherwise, if we actually felt that fear, then it's just like you know when you don't think if there's like a Right. Correct. In other words, our only area of choice is to cultivate that fear. Because once that fear has been cultivated, so then we automatically are, um, we just avoid and we, 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 we just won't do things which aren't coherent with our spiritual practice because we just, just be, you know, repulsed by them. Repelled. So I'm not going to go there with So the choice is actually to cultivate that fear, which which is a synonym for cultivating the reality of the spiritual world, and just like spiritual world, just like the physical world has got geographical formations, and there are mountains, and if you go too close to the edge of a mountain, you fall off, because the nature of a landscape is it's got a whole range of different uh, geographical formations. So the spiritual world is very much the same, and if you veer too far from the path there may be a cliff that you could fall off with, from. But if you don't have a sense of a spiritual world with all of its highways and byways clearly delineated and there's something being on and off and steering away, veering away to keeping on, so then essentially it's just all about meaningless personal choices of lifestyle, which doesn't carry much weight or meaning or purpose or certainly not something you'd want to give up your life for. Devote yourself to, sacrifice yourself to. It works, it works, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So really the integration of spiritual practice focuses very strongly on the cultivation of a natural being repelled, being pulled away, um, recoil. In other words, a person has a fear, you'll just recoil from doing something which is inappropriate. Now imagine how this would work if we'd been able to inculcate that fear into our choice of words and making sure that we don't step out of line 
by using the most powerful creative tool that we have, which is the power of words, in describing things in a negative light, which can then literally ruin other people's lives. It's called Loshnaya. If we don't, what would the difference between between having that fear and not having that fear? So having that fear means that I actually have this sense of trepidation when I open my mouth, making sure that I don't, in the flurry of words, betray someone else's trust or degrade them. Not not having that fear means I just speak freely and whatever comes out of my mouth, regardless of its implications to others, just flows. And that can be really harmful. But it can be really exciting if you have it because now you are given the challenge of pronouncing the right words in the right way and forming the right sentences which are productive and building and there's there's an edge to it because if you don't do it, boom, it becomes dangerous. So it, it informs on the entire experience of our life and shifts our life from a really kind of staid, boring, ritualistic experience to supercharged, exciting on edge, bridling with immense electricity. So we have to we have to do that. In order to do that, though, we need a way of cultivating it in a way which is sustainable. So how do we how do we inculcate? How do we how do we cultivate that recoiling from things just virtually harmful? How do we develop that? So let's have a general discussion about growth as a whole, and then we'll make perhaps a practical application to this issue in detail. There's a verse in Mishlei, Proverbs, which says the following thing. It's chapter 19, verse 3. The foolishness of a man will make his way go crooked, and upon Hashem, Hashem he will, his heart will be angry. So, just before we even understand what the Vilna Gaon explains the verse to be referring to, let's just think about, well, that's a bit strange. I'm stupid, meaning I have, I have um, I lack understanding. And as a result of my own uncalculated, miscalculated decisions, I land up, I land up messing up. And then I point the finger and say, Hashem, it's your fault. What would, what would be that scenario? Where would there be a scenario where I blame my foolishness and I say, well, it's Hashem, it's your problem, mate. What would that be? So the Vilna Gaon says a very, very powerful lesson in the realm of growth. A person becomes inspired in his Jewish practice. Comes to Yeshiva, he sees the vast amount of knowledge that he that he wants to access and the excitement of doing all these kinds of different exciting practices and twiddling and shabbos and kashras and brachas and he says, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to give it all I've got. And I'm going to really push myself. I'm going to really push, 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 push myself. And he pushes himself. And he pushes himself and he does it and he's and he starts learning with a 
tenacity and and devotion and he's there and he's doing everything and then he just gets totally disillusioned and just can't do it anymore. He's kind of like he just like runs out of strength and kind of gets burnt and jaded and and he says, Do you know what? He says, I don't understand this. I learned in the Gemara, and the Gemara said, A person that engages on a spiritual path, and he wants to purify himself, He gets special divine assistance. When a person really is moving in the right direction, and he wants to do the right thing, he gets bolstered, he gets helped. That's, what I, that, that's me. That was me. I tried so hard to do the right thing. I pushed myself beyond my physical capacity. I woke up for nights. I stayed at Tukhtikon Chatzais. I did everything in the world. I tried and I tried and I did so much. And now I'm left dejected and alone, uninspired. Why? I'm angry with you for leaving me. Why? Says the disillusioned, jaded youngster or oldster. Well, a person's lack of understanding, a person's foolishness, a person's stupidity made his derech go crooked. In which way did his derech, his way go crooked? In as much as he tried to operate on a level that wasn't coherent with his natural resources. He tried to do something above his level, above his madrega. He tried to reach a level that wasn't consistent with where he was holding in terms of his spiritual place. And he said, you know what? My spiritual place is perhaps engaging in one prayer service a day. But you know what? I'm going to go beyond that. That's called a distortion and a corruption because you don't have the resources to affect that level of shifting and spiritual progress. That's called a siluf. That's called a corruption of your derech, of your way. That comes from a basic misunderstanding of your assets that you have that you can invest in your growth. And therefore, you have now distorted your growth. And therefore, you feel that you were right and Hashem was wrong. And Hashem is a boy. Liboy, but Hashem will reply to you and say, no, 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 no. When you don't move your spiritual location with careful consideration, well-reasoned thought, understanding the parameters of your given strengths and powers, being in touch with your talents and how much you can push yourself, being totally cogent of what your spiritual body can handle, what level of stress and weight it can lift. When you don't do that and you just plow ahead with the best intentions in the world, what will happen? You'll come a tumbling down just like old Humpty Dumpty. And this is the interesting additional point that comes out from this insight from the Vilna Gorn Reb Eliyahu Vilna. the interesting insight comes out that the spiritual bolstering of the divine assistance that a person can access runs in tandem with carefully thought out steps in process meaning it's not some kind of big huge injection of st- spiritual steroids that comes down from the sky to 
to anyone that's open for the grabs, but it works in a very um, intricate way with carefully planned decisions. And when you plan your decision carefully, totally coherent with who you are as a person in that time, and your next step makes so much sense, that's when this divine assistant kicks in. So the Vilna Gaon is teaching me as much about growth as the notion of expansive spirituality in that process of growth. If I want to expand myself and reach a level that I never would have anticipated, what is the steps that I need to take to work within the anticipated realm of the limitations of my own present status? And then I can take one step further. Two steps further, three steps further, doesn't work. I cannot jump. There's not a step that I can miss out in my ascension towards a spiritual goal. Rung by rung, step by step, and as I take my foot and put it one step forward, I don't jump even an iota beyond the place where I need to be. How do you know? And therefore, and therefore, when considering the ultimate spiritual quest, which is to cultivate and integrate inside of ourselves this thing called Yerasa'inesh, the recoiling from the danger of a spiritual corruption, I have to make sure that that fear is integrated at a point where my system can cope with it. And very often, people who are well-intentioned step beyond the limit of what their system can hold and the very same thing which would enable and empower them becomes the source of their own spiritual distraction. Mm. Happy news for happy Jews. Um, so I'm just going to get a couple of questions now. My first question comes from Baruch. <laughs> um, how do you know what that step to take is that it's not too big or not too small? You tell me. I don't know what step are you thinking about? <laughs> Well, I mean, you say taking on too much will just cause you to burn out and lose steam. And you don't get the sight of the Shemaya. Yeah. Okay, so what would so be the right step What would be the right, would be the right step? I'm not sure. Well, I mean, if you're not sure, right? How would one find out what the right step well, is? Well, forget about one. Let's talk about you. Yeah. Okay, so how would you find out what the right Now, Now, this is the problem, right? The problem is, there's no way I can tell you. Yeah. And there's no way he can tell you. Our stuff's useless. In this context, <laughs> um, so so who who can you ask? Myself. There you go, and you're the only one that can answer that question. So now all of a sudden you start to recognize, oh my gosh, spiritual growth requires intimate self knowledge and awareness as well, because without that I just can't predict what the next step to take is. If I don't know myself, I think, oh no, like there, there was a young student in Orzumar and this occurred many years ago and now thankfully he's a very successful educator and businessman in his own right but back in the day he was young fresh bright and bushy tailed and he came to me and he said to me he thinks he's ready for the next step I said and what is the next step he says you know when you pronounce the name of Hashem while you're in the process of prayer so you can have certain intentions and if you look at the letters one of the intentions you can have is the idea of of eternity was, will be, is makes everything come into being, and he wants to have that intention 
properly in every time he says Hashem's name. So I said, oh, okay, do you think that's like a bit much? He's been in Shiva for like a couple of months. He says, no. So, sounds pretty reachable. So from my vantage point, it was like ludicrous. From his vantage point, it made total sense, which demonstrated to me that he was deeply dislocated from where he was really at. So you see that in order to have spiritual progress, you actually have to have a very solid emotional knowledge of yourself, understanding your koichas, your strengths and weaknesses, how you work as a person, because otherwise your steps are going to be inevitably just out of sync with who you are. So you really your question would be not what, how do you know to take the next step, but really your question is how do you learn to know yourself? One more question from you, Paul. How you learn to know yourself? Ah, good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you're asking that question. That would be a good question to ask. Great, because I, as you ponder the question, I'm just going to fetch a question from Ben. Ben, if you could just give me a question. How do you learn to know yourself? How do you learn to know yourself? <laughs> yeah, that's the question. So, I mean, that question is very... I mean, the answer to that is that going to be a life changer, right? No, Brilliant. So, um... I mean, I, I, if you want, I'm going to have to charge. No, I was, I said, like, the rest of it was like, the rest of it was for free, but this is like, this is. How do you get out of that, like? It's kind of similar to Paul's question, like, you see, like, all the things that you know you should be doing. Right. But, like, you know you can't do all of them, like you said, because it's too much. Right. But then, so, like, what's the point then? Like, what's the point? One second, there was, there was like a logical flow until the last sentence. You know you can't do all of them. What's the point? You know you can do some of them, and then what's the point? No, like, like, I suppose the like point is to do the right amount and not the wrong amount. I know I need to do these things, but like I can't do these things. So like, I feel like I can't do anything. Oh wow, that's a that's kind so of that's, 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 that's a logical flow. I know I can walk to the Macaulay. I know I can't walk to the moon, so I shouldn't walk to the Macaulay. <laughs> Makes so sense to me. How, so how do you choose what Macaulay is? Like, how do you? It's like there's like so many things you think. Okay, I, I'm such out, but then I just need to do this and this and this, and then it's just like overwhelming. So you just don't do anything because. Like, so, so can you take the word you? And substitute the word I, because I think you speak of yourself at this point in time. I am. I'm saying. I'm okay, so let's talk about you. I can say the word you when I'm referring to you. Then you make it nine. Good. Okay. So let me tell you a little bit about yourself. What do you say? Ah. Yeah. No, that I want to do. Give me an example. Let's make it really tangible. What do you want to do? What are you arguing? About? What are you not sure about? Just different things, though. Okay. <laughs> could you be? Could you be a little bit more specific? Like say things. Yeah, let's say a few things. Let's say like um. I want to learn, to, okay, let's say I want to learn different things. Yeah, yeah, we're getting more specific. But we're <laughs> learning as And Musar and Sul to So, in other words, you feel that there's enormous amounts of other material that you love to study, okay? And like I want to do, like, just other stuff, not to do with, like, learning, just personal, like, hobbies that I enjoy. So you've got, you've got a limited amount of hours in the day. Yeah. And in that limited amount of hours, you want to stick to the schedule of our learning schedule in the yeshiva. You also want to supplement it with learning other topics like halacha and musa. And you also want to have time for your hobbies, which are... 
guitar. Playing guitar. Yeah, you gotta play soccer or whatever. Soccer. Skydiving. Mm-hmm. I'm saying like, knitting. All these things and you can't hook all of them. Crocheting. Tapestry. So then it's just like, where do I start? What do I do? Like, what's the point of just doing one thing? Because like, I want, like, the point and, you and then how do I choose one of these things? Like, what's more important? Like, no, that's just, yeah. And you just don't do anything because you're like, I just don't do anything. I just don't, I just don't do anything. Yeah. And then it's just like, it's just like not nice. It's not nice, not nice. It's not nice and you want it to be more nicely. <laughs> So, okay, so yeah, you've got a predicament. In other words, you've got a lot of things that you'd like to do. You feel that you, you have a hard time choosing between them. And therefore, what you say to yourself is, therefore, I'm not going to do anything. Which then becomes an unpleasant experience. Because in case, instead of doing one of the things that you could have done, you do none of the things you could have done. And instead of like trying and failing, you just don't try. Aye, aye, aye. Instead of, I'm talking about myself. Or well... Okay, well, why why do I keep on saying I and you? When you say the word you, it doesn't feel as grav. It doesn't feel like it's, it's about yourself. It's a little, it's a linguistic thing. But when I say I, it feels much more serious. Like I actually have to man up my dirt. I have to do something with my life. When you say you, it's kind of it's, it's distant. It's, it's someone else, some vague, amorphous <laughs> thing out there has to got all these issues. We can say I, it's me with my issues, and then it becomes much more confrontational. And I want to be confrontational with you. Okay, so yeah, you you've got all these things, and your mechanism, which is different from, for example, Adam's mechanism. See, Adam may, given a flurry of things to do, he may not do none of them, but he'll do all of them. He'll run and do all of them. So that's what I mean. It's also very specific. You've got this mechanism inside of you that when you have multiple options, so instead of pursuing all of them or most of them, you close down. It's like all or nothing. No, it's like all, so you've got an all or nothing in a certain area of your life mentality. Yeah. So that's really interesting. So what are you going to do with that, mate? It's so harmful. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, of course, right? It's completely irrational. So, so I wonder why you are all or nothing kind of person. I wonder where that comes from. I also wonder. <laughs> good, good. No, we should wonder together. Um... So that's getting to know yourself. There you go. You got the answer for free. Getting to know yourself would be to inquire. You know, Adam's not like that. Ralph's not like that. I'm not like that. Uh, are you like that? He's not like that. Borg, you like that? Depends what area. Depends what area. He's a little bit like that. So, so, so it's interesting. You know, you're different. So is it because of your parenting? The way you're parented is because of some kind of formative experience that you had when you were a kid. You, know, you may have been on, 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 on a soccer team and your coach may have said to you, you either win or you lose and there's nothing in between and it's not about playing the game. And that may have become like kind of stuck in your head. Is it because um, in your perspective of life you have a very judgmental part and you either define things as right or wrong and therefore you've got a binary way of thinking so if you can't do it all then you can't do it all. You can't do, if you can't do everything then you can do nothing. I don't know, that that would be an amazing opportunity for you to get to know yourself and then solve the riddle that we actually try and solve. Wow. How is that, eh? Yeah, but that doesn't matter. I can't do that to myself, what you just did to me. Well, okay, this is where the price comes in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch, mate. Ralph. Um, so you spoke about the... Oh, sorry, I just realized that actually we have to stop right now.